Thanks for our readings, Helen. Well, good morning, everyone. Great to be with you this morning. Uh, keep your Bibles open if you're following along with that Acts 16 passage. But I want to start by uh, sharing briefly with you about the morning our second son, Jack, was born. Uh, it was a Sunday morning, nearly two years ago. My wife, Jess, was still about three weeks away from her due date. The Saturday ahead of us was a busy one. We had good plans in our calendar. Uh, Jess and I were down to co-host here at Morning Church in the morning. Uh, We'd organised with our neighbours to have dinner with them that night. And I'd made plans to meet up with a couple of guys from church in the afternoon. So when I was awoken in the early hours of the morning by Jess telling me that she was in labour... I have to admit, I was probably not quite as supportive or believing as perhaps I should have been on reflection. In fact, my repeated use of the phrase, are you sure, with the undertone message being, because it's a very inconvenient day for this, was less and less appreciated by my wife as her contractions became increased both in frequency and intensity. And as every husband who's ever been in this position knows, the moment when your wife's labor is established is a very clarifying moment. Because it doesn't matter wherever you are, there's only one place you want to get to. Not home, definitely not the car or car park. You want to get to a hospital. You want to get in the hospital. And so we went as fast as we could to RPA, parked the car the early hours of the morning, uh, I dropped off our eldest son quickly to the Lovells family because what's one more kid for them? <laughs> Thank you, John and Jody. <laughs> Only to find that there was, uh, when we finally got to the hospital, we walked in, we staggered our way in, and uh, there was a big closed door to the maternity ward on our left. And uh, we got stuck at the front desk because I couldn't find our identification docs. I'm rustling around in the bags for the life of me until my rather unimpressed wife used the magic password. I'm pushing. <laughs> well, suddenly our identification docs did not seem quite as important for the front man, the man at the front desk. The giant closed doors to the maternity ward opened. And uh, moments later, a nurse took us very quickly into the side waiting room, reassuring us the doctor will be with us soon. Well, soon was not soon enough. Fifteen minutes later, the nurse and I delivered Jack, and Catch the Baby took on a whole new meaning for me. So, well done, Jack, and well done, Mum. I'm sending off to Mandy. We won't be co-hosting this morning. Well, you might be wondering where all this is going. This morning, we are looking at a rather different birth story of sorts in the book of Acts. A birth story of the Christian church in Europe, and it might not seem it, but this was a big moment in history. The spread of the gospel would start out very small in Europe, but give it time and it would grow large and significant, world shaping. Well, that's the backstory found here in the first half of Acts 16, which we heard read just a moment ago. The whole book of Acts is written by a doctor, no less, called Luke. And he writes to give us assurance, confidence, certainty. Are you sure? 
to replace any doubts or skepticism that we might have. He records the eyewitness account for the acts of the risen Jesus. And in this episode of Acts, as Paul and his companions set out on their second missionary journey, we'll see how a good plan is replaced by God's better plan. We'll see how a cry of distress for help is answered. We'll see a closed door that becomes an opened one. And at the end of it all, we'll see the greatest miracle, God's miracle of new life through new birth. Before we dive in, let me pray for us. Father, we do thank you that you are sovereign, that you are good, that you rule your world. And we pray this morning that you would help us to concentrate as we look to your word. We pray that you would be our vision, even this vision Sunday morning. And we pray that you would get the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the big question I want to ask you this morning, this Vision Sunday, as we look at this part of Acts, is this. Where are we going? There's three scenes this morning. Scene number one, what next? Scene number two, where next? And scene number three, who next? Well, scene number one, follow along with me. In this first scene from verses 1 to 5, notice three things. Firstly, Luke begins by noting that Paul is on the move again. Verse 1, he, Paul, came to Derby and then to Lystra. In fact, in the three scenes that we'll look at in this chapter, each time Luke begins with a note about Paul's travel itinerary. He's like the Energizer Bunny, go, 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 you can't stop him. And it matters because, notice this, we're seeing more mission again. The gospel is advancing forward. And we saw this earlier at the start of our series in term one, a flurry of mission activity as we looked at Acts 13 and 14 in our series to the ends of the earth. It was very exciting first missionary journey. It took him all over the place. And then last week, if you were with us, we had the moment of a massive halt in that mission journey. It was a watershed moment in Acts chapter 15 where the Jerusalem council gathered together to make it very clear, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. It's not by circumcision. It's not by grace plus works. You don't need to become a Jew first before you can become a Christian. It's just by trusting in the finished work of Jesus. Or as my boys like to put it, it's by trusting that Jesus is a sin smasher and he's a death crusher. They like to sing on their way to preschool. Colin Buchanan's song, if you don't know it. But the other reason to ask this question of what next is because of the way chapter 15 ended. Uh, it ended emotionally. We didn't look at this last Sunday morning, but you might have touched on it in your growth groups. There's this painful split between Paul and Barnabas a disagreement about John Mark that can't be worked out. And if you're reading along the narrative, it's a sad point in the story. There's grief. And we think, what what next? What does mission look like for Paul without the son of encouragement, as he was nicknamed, Barnabas? We don't hear any more about Barnabas for the rest of the story. Well, secondly, what next? Along comes Timothy, verses 1 to 3. Just glance down there and we're told a few things about Timothy. Firstly, that he lives in Lystra, that he's from a split religious family. His mom's a Jew, his dad is a Greek, and he's got a great reputation with everyone in the area. 
Paul sees great potential in him as his ministry trainee. But before they do go out on mission, Paul makes sure that Timothy gets circumcised. Now, it's not because Timothy must be circumcised. We know that. It was fairly well drawn out and established in Acts 15. But rather, Paul wants to be, wants Timothy to be culturally sensitive to the Jews who lived in that area. And it reminds me of a young Christian guy a few years ago uh, who became, came to be a student minister at the church that I grew up in. Uh, we was in the suburb of Bellevue Hill, and he was a very keen evangelist. He came from the central coast, but for the life of me, I couldn't work out, why does this guy not wear shoes? Not even thongs, wherever he goes. And that is a great example of putting up a cultural barrier to those you are ministering among in Bellevue Hill. To his credit, though, about a year or so in, when he worked out the shoe thing, he was so enthusiastic to get the gospel out to the people in Bellevue Hill, and he started going along and visiting the local synagogue in Bellevue Hill. And he would wear, not just shoes, but he would wear, he would ask and take one of the kippers and wear it on his hat, not because he had to, but because he didn't want a barrier. He wanted to respect those around him as they worshipped. Well, that's a great example of what Paul is uh, acting on his principle here. It's a, it's a principle we see elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 8 and 9 and in Romans 14, that love limits freedom. Love limits our freedom. Well, third thing to notice in this first scene, notice the progress report that Luke gives to us. At the end of the scene in verse 5, read it with me. Luke writes, So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. That's what happens as a result of Paul and his companions traveling around the place, telling them about grace alone and what it looks like to love those around you. If you're a cricket fan like I am, these progress reports are a bit like getting the score update. If you're following along the Australia-India test, it's a tight game, this one. If you're not following, don't worry. Well, Luke is giving us an update on the main game. And the main game, as he does throughout, uh, throughout the book of Acts, the main game is this, that Jesus, the risen and ascended Jesus who is Lord, is building his church. The word church literally means a gathering, an assembly. Church isn't mainly about a building, it's about a gathered people around Christ who are growing in faith, the roots of their faith and convictions, and in number. And that's the progress update that Luke gives. Well, what about us at Christchurch? I want you to remember that big question for the whole sermon, and it's this, where are we going? And as Dave pointed out earlier, we uh, pick up one of those vision books on the way out, and you'll notice the answer in three words, gathered for mission. That's where we want to be going in 2023. But what might that actually look like? What would it look like to be gathered for mission for us at Morning Church? What would, what would it look like to live out that vision this year? I want to focus just on one area. Dave mentioned it earlier briefly. But let me give you a few uh, numbers, as Luke did. These are our numbers for Morning Church. Uh, you might not realize this. Take a moment, look around at some point. We've actually got 308 members at Morning Church. But our week-to-week average attendance on a Sunday is 43%. 
and that has plunged over the last couple of years. That means on any given week, we only see less than half of our regulars are on site with us. And to put it into perspective, 4 p.m. Arvo Church and 6 p.m. Evening Church, they're at 61% and 62%. Our goal is that we would actually see people 70% of the time. And we are way off at morning church. And it's not good for our spiritual health. In fact, our collective irregularity is a major factor for why many people at this congregation are finding it difficult to fit in, finding it difficult to belong, and we are having trouble developing a sense of morning church identity, where people feel like they do actually belong here. And it's hurting our mission too, because our newcomers, we get newcomers every week who visit, who are invited, who are brought, but they don't feel welcomed at morning church. They don't feel welcomed because our congregation changes every single week dramatically. They find it hard to get integrated into being a part of us. And so I want to challenge you at the heart level to ask yourself this week, do I prize gathering with God's people? And I want you to just think, am I someone who is leaning in at the moment or am I leaning out at the moment? Don't misunderstand me. I don't expect it to be realistic that you will be here every week of the year. There are some weeks where you are unwell or a child is unwell. There are some weeks where you are away on holidays. But last year, there across the entire year of 2022, there were only 24 people out of 308 at Morning Church who made it to more than 40 services in a year. That's two and a half months of church for most of us that we missed. I suspect it means that we're not prizing gathering like we ought to. One of our vision goals is to have public meetings that are the highlight of the week. You remember John O'Blowes and the way he used to introduce the service here. And to which we will regularly invite our friends to. And I know that we're not there yet. The staff team know that too. But I would love you to speak up. I would love you to kindly write or speak to me or to some a member of the staff team. Give us feedback about what you love about Morning Church. Don't forget that. And what you don't love about Morning Church. Because it will show me and it will show us that you care about us, the gathering here at Morning Church and the health of God's people here. Well, let me move on. Scene number two. Come back with me. Acts 16. Read with me from verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Don't miss this next part. Having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Now, that's a bit unusual, isn't it? I didn't think preaching a word, that's good. Why would, why would the Holy Spirit not want that? I imagine Paul wondering, Lord, why are you closing the door to me preaching here? Verse 7. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. Twice we are told that the Holy Spirit hinders them from where they had planned to go. We're not told how the Spirit stopped them entering these places. Did they get ill? 
Was there a word of prophecy that was spoken? Was it an inward feeling that they had? Was there an outward enemy that stopped them going there? We don't know. We're not told. That's not Luke's agenda for us. To the question, where next though, the emphasis so far seems to be not there, not there, verse 9. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we, notice Luke the doctor writes himself into the account, I take it that he joined Paul and his companions at this point in the story, and we'll hear the we a bit more throughout. We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Macedonia, that's Europe. That's a, that's a big jump for the gospel. Well, the main point in this section, where next, is where Jesus directs his mission. Did you notice how Paul and his companions are being steered by the Spirit of Jesus? Not there, not there, there. They concluded God was sending them. Jesus wants his gospel message to go to a new frontier, and that's Europe. That's Jesus' agenda, and give it three years of Paul and his companions ministering, and there'll be churches established by uh, established in Philippi, in Thessalonica, Athens, Corinth, and Ephesus, and that'll take us up the next few weeks to the end of term, towards it. Why? Because Luke is telling us Jesus is not dead. As he started the, the book in Acts chapter 1, these are the acts that the risen Jesus continued to do. He's risen, ascended, ruling at the right hand of God, directing his mission agenda through his spirit-empowered witnesses in the world. Well, what about us at Christ Church? Remember our big question, where are we going? I want to say just a few brief words about God's guidance reflecting on these scenes. Notice number one, sometimes God's guidance involves closing a door. We don't get a job. I remember that was very painful a few years ago when I was applying for jobs. I had my heart set on one and I didn't get it. It was very disappointing, ringing my dad, talking, talking to him about where next. Sometimes we miss out on the course. Sometimes our visa for travel is not granted. Sometimes a loan is not approved. Sometimes a relationship does not lead where we expected it to. Sometimes our plan isn't God's plan. Well, secondly, notice Paul and his companions, they are anything but passive here. They are active, very active. And this section is not an anti-strategy, anti-planning, throw out your brains, definitely don't pick up the vision booklet, that's anti-God. No, Paul is constantly thinking about where will I go next? What will be best for the kingdom here? He makes his decisions based on gospel convictions. What will strengthen Jesus' church here? The wise person remembers that the end of that passage we looked at from Proverbs 16, verse 9. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Thirdly, notice God's guidance isn't kept by Paul to himself. Verse 10 says, they concluded. In other words, he woke up, they discussed it, they weighed it up, they agreed together. God was calling them to Macedonia. Fourthly, don't miss the main point here, 
Luke is not establishing a normative pattern for everyday decision making for you and I. We've got to keep in mind, this is a unique moment. It's a turning point in history. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. This changed the course of the direction for the gospel and headed things to Europe. Notice Paul's not even expecting a vision here. He went to bed, he had a vision, he woke up and he told his companions about it. Rather, Luke's mainly drawing our attention to the fact that like he did earlier in the book with Peter and Cornelius and the visionary in Acts 10, sometimes Jesus does and can and can still overrule and intervene to direct his mission, but that's not the norm. The norm is where God's people take gospel initiative with wise planning and prayerful dependence. Remember James chapter 4? Don't say that you can do this or go that. So you say, if it's the Lord's will. Fifthly, remember too the kinds of gospel convictions that made Paul such a driven man. And he was, wasn't he? Living for Christ, dying to self. Forgetting what's behind, pressing on to what's ahead, the upward call of Christ. You see, decisions are so much easier to make when the big pillars are in place. That's what we do at Sunday Church. We get together and we hear the Bible, we soak it in deeply, we meet with God's people during the week so that our convictions make us certain about the things that really do matter. My past is redeemed. That's true if you're a Christian. My future is secure. That's true if you're a Christian. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That means you can be courageous and take risks for the sake of the kingdom, putting that first, God's kingdom first in the present. And finally, just on a practical note, let me encourage you, do grab a vision booklet on your way out and read through it familiarize yourself with it, know it, maybe start a ministry conversation with someone else here about it and pray through our church vision goals and the challenges. Reminds me, yesterday I was calling my mum to uh, ask her to refresh me about a story about my grandfather and uh, she told me more, reminded me of a part that I didn't remember. My grandfather was a missionary uh, to Thailand uh, uh, with OMF And uh, when I met with him a few weeks before he died, I asked him, how did that happen? And he shared how he became a Christian. Then he shared a couple of months later, he was only nine, a couple of months later, uh, someone came to the church that he was at and they started calling out, would anyone here like to be a missionary one day and take the gospel elsewhere? And my grandpa put up his hand and the guy at the front sort of said, well, that's a young fellow, but the sentiment was, you know, missionary today, a pilot next week. But my grandpa said, no, it meant something. And I came home and it stuck with me. What my grandpa didn't know was that as he eventually did, trained to be a doctor and then uh, went out with OMF on mission to Thailand, he never knew until he was an adult having made that decision that his mother had been at a China inland mission meeting one day with her husband and had been convicted by the message from the front and she went up. She had two daughters at the time and was pregnant with Arthur and she went up and spoke to a relative of Hudson Taylor and uh, I think it was his grandson or son and uh, she said, will you take a family out on mission? 
And uh, it was him and his wife, and they said, no, at the moment we won't. But why don't you pray for your unborn child that one day they will be a missionary? And so she did. And she never told him until all the way after that moment where he decided to go out with Ometh. Isn't that amazing? Astounding. Why am I telling you that? Because God answers prayers. And there are people that you ought to be praying for in this congregation and at this church too. Will you pray through the vision booklet? Your prayers are valued and powerful and answered in ways that you can't even imagine. And read all the way to the last page and hear about what God is doing in Europe today as Josh Apajonek and his family share what God is doing in France through their ministry there. Well, lastly, and very briefly, we come to scene chapter uh, scene 3, who next? Verses 11 to 15, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke all journey by sea until they reach Philippi. Philippi is described to us as a Roman colony and the leading city where they stayed several days. Rome didn't know what had hit them that day. The rest of chapter 16 is based here in Philippi, but notice how Luke slows the pace right down. He's been traveling here and here and here and here, but the rest of chapter 16 is actually going to slow down and focus in on three different people, very different people. We'll hear about two of them next week, but notice the first of the three personal stories here. Pick it up with me from verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. I went to a rather upmarket branded clothing store a week or two ago in Macquarie Shopping Centre and I went looking to buy a polo shirt for work with a Christmas voucher I'd received And as I was looking through the different colours of the shirts, one of the store assistants came over to me, which always annoys me. Do you need help, sir? And no thanks, I'm just browsing. She had another go. Are you browsing for yourself or a gift for someone else? Myself, I said, not even looking at her, ignoring her, trying to send the signal. And as I picked down another shirt from the shelf, very politely, she said, well, this is the women's section, sir. (laughs) can I show you where the men's section is Uh, I didn't last very long in the store after that it's very difficult to recover well I imagine Lydia would have been like the owner of that sort of store she was a very well-to-do businesswoman dealing with purple cloth and purple cloth in the ancient world is the color of royalty But she wasn't just successful, we read on, and she's also described as a worshipper of God, which I take it probably means that she was a non-Jew. Yet she worships with the God of the Jews. Otherwise, I take it that Paul would have just said she was a Jew. But she still needed to be saved. Why? Because she didn't yet worship God's Son, Jesus. And that's the only right way, the only true way, as Jesus himself said, I'm the way to the Father. There is no other way to have a right relationship with God. Look at what happens next. The Lord opened her heart to respond to God's message. 
Do you know that's the only way that anyone gets saved? As you read through the pages of the New Testament, the heart, what is probably most humbling for the non-believer is that our heart, our moral center, the center of who we are, what we're like, is described bleakly. That we're addicted to sin, that we hate God, that we're dead in our transgressions, that we're not alive spiritually, that we're cut off from the author of life. If you're a Christian today, you're a Christian because God opened your heart to respond. But notice what Lydia is responding to, Paul's message, the gospel message, the the one that is progressing all out throughout the towns and cities, and it needs to be proclaimed, and it needs to be believed. Romans 10, how would they believe if they have not heard? And it needs to be responded to. Repent and believe the gospel. And then notice at the end of there in verse 15, the Lord opens Lydia's heart. And what does Lydia do in verse 15? She opens up her home. That's the sign of a changed person. She opens it up. Come stay with me. My resources are your resources. At the end in this chapter in verse 40, we'll see when Paul and uh, Silas get out of jail, they're going to go back to Lydia's house where the believers were. Well, we could say more about Lydia, but I won't for sake of time. What about us today? Who next? Lydia's conversion reminds us of two things. Firstly, God can save anyone. He can save rich people. He can save poor people. He can save smart people. And he can save not smart people. He can save successful people. He can save men. He can save women. He can save young. He can save old. He can save Jew and Gentile. He can save Muslim, Buddhist, or atheist. Don't rule out anyone. Our job is to keep talking about Jesus. We're called to proclaim. To keep opening up our homes and our lives to connect with others for the sake of the gospel. One of our vision goals is called One, One, One. We want a culture where each member would be inviting at least one person to one church meeting or event each year. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not many people. One church, one person, one event in the year. But think about it. Who have you invited in the last year to church? It's a convicting question. I'm always humbled by uh, my son, Archie, who is very quick to invite people to church and to give things out to his friends and to tell us about some of the kids that he's been speaking to at preschool about Jesus. Who are you going to invite? We've got an invitation service in two weeks' time. That's not a lot of time, but it is time enough to invite someone this week. Uh, We're giving out a handout with the dates for when are our mission and invitation services this year. When's our church picnic? When's our come over to lunch at my place? Are they going to go in your calendar? Are you going to lean into that? We're gathered for mission. And secondly, trust God to look after the heart part. Uh, My late grandpa, who I mentioned earlier, the story that he shared about how he became a Christian, he said, I was eight or nine. I went along to Saturday school. The man up the front was speaking about accepting Jesus. And he asked, is there anybody here who wants to accept Jesus and follow him? And my grandpa told me, 
All I can remember was putting up my hand because I wanted Jesus. And it could just be that this morning that's true of someone here too. Have it, I pray for us. Father God, we do thank you for your son, Jesus, that he died for our sins, that he's risen to new life, that he's ascended and ruling at your right hand, and that he's not left us to be alone, but granted that your Holy Spirit would fill and indwell your people, give us courage where we lack it. Help us, Lord, to remember that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Give us your eyes. Help us to trust Follow and live for him as our king all our days in Jesus' name. Amen.